0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making theology central.
1: Good evening, everyone, and you probably noticed something is a little different. I mean, not completely different, but different for this particular time and day of the week. It's Wednesday, it's 6.39 p.m. Central Time. One, I shouldn't be going live at 6.39 p.m. Central Time. I should be going live at about 7.05 or 7.10 p.m. Central Time. Second, you shouldn't be hearing the theme. No, you should just be hearing me say, all right, guys, open your Bibles to whatever, because I should be coming to you live from Victory Baptist Church. I should be standing behind the pulpit at Victory Baptist Church. But obviously there is no in-person service tonight and so here I am in the studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And well, we're going to make this work. We're going to we're going to try to accomplish something something tonight. Hopefully, I mean, we will accomplish something. Will it be beneficial to you? I hope so. Will it be any good I hope so. Will it advance our study in the book of Jeremiah? Absolutely not, but it will be in the book of Jeremiah, and at least you won't just have to hear from me. So, does, does that sound good? So, I know things are not just the way they're supposed to work. I know it's not the exact time, and I'm not in the right location, but I think this will be beneficial. Or at least I ask that you give me the opportunity to try to prove that to you, okay? Are you ready? So let's do this correctly. Good evening, everyone. It is Wednesday, June the 14th, 2023. It is currently now 6.40 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, we are in the book of Jeremiah. We've been doing a lot of work in the book of Jeremiah. I've given you all kinds of assignments, but there have been some things that have not gone very well in our study because every time I think I'm going to be standing behind the pulpit, you know, advancing the study, you know, actually have a congregation in front of me to work through the text. Well, every time I think that's going to happen, something has gotten in the way of that which means we are way 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 behind technically we need to be we need to be past Jeremiah chapter 7 we need to be moving towards Jeremiah chapter uh, 12 we really that's, that's where we re- really need to be so i know we're way behind and i know that what i should do is really turn on the microphone and say okay I know I'm not going to be preaching this in front of a congregation, but let me change it up and make it work in a podcasting way and then somehow see what I can complete and then try to figure out a plan for Sunday. Like, But instead of sitting here spending an hour or two hours to try to figure all of that out, I thought what we would do is we'll go back to something uh, that is tried and true. Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Remember his program, Through the Bible? You got on the Bible bus, and he went five years through the entire Bible, and then he would start over and go through another five-year journey through the Bible, and he'd invite you to get on the Bible bus. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, Through the Bible Ministries, very, very, very famous, tried and true. People around the world loved that program, benefited greatly from that program, and listened to it all the time. Well, what, two years ago, three years ago, they gave me permission— uh, to basically just use their content. Like I can just play it. I don't even have to say anything. We're not going to do it exactly that way tonight, but we will be using Dr. J. Vernon McGee's teaching on Jeremiah chapter two. And uh I'll just be kind of doing kind of not so much a critique, but I'll just be doing more of adding additional thoughts. I'll just, we'll just be kind of working through what he says together, not so much to critique it, but to just help, uh, to just use it as an additional tool to help us stay in the book of Jeremiah, stay focused. And in a sense, we're going to be covering something that you should have already covered. You should have been reading over and over and over Jeremiah chapter two, over and over and over. Hopefully, you've read it now, who knows how many times. You should already be familiar with it. We've worked through most of Jeremiah chapter two. If you know, if, if, we, if you want to realize where we really are, are struggling, Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 20 is really the verse we need to work on. It really is. At some point we we'll, we we'll, we we'll, we'll see if he covers it. Um if he doesn't mention it, we're going to set special time uh to work on Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 20. And then what we what we have set aside in fact what I was supposed to be doing tonight is we were going to look at Jeremiah 219 uh and uh, and where we're going to look at the phrase idea backslider then we we're going to look at the phrase a vine in jeremiah 2 20 through 23 then we were going to look at the phrase a fast camel jeremiah 2 23 then we we're going to look at the idea of being a wild donkey in jeremiah 2 24 through 26 and then we we're going to be looked at the idea of being a, a thief who is ashamed in chapter 2 verse 26 we were going to look at the idea of being a destroying lion in chapter 2, verse 30. Then we're going to talk about being a forgetful woman in chapter 2, verse 32. And then we were going to uh, go over to chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and look at the idea of being a harlot. That's what we were going to look at tonight at Victory Baptist Church. Well, instead of trying to work, instead of trying to figure out how to change it from preaching it in front of a congregation to a podcast— What I decided to do is we'll just have Dr. J. Vernon McGee go back through chapter two, cover some of the things we covered, and then maybe he'll cover some of those things I just mentioned. And then we will, I just, I just, I think it'll be a change of pace. It'll, in a sense, it's kind of a guest speaker, but at the same time, I'll be coming in offering my thoughts. You're, everyone who's been participating in the study, you're going to be, you're going to be able to go, Oh, I, 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 studied that. I remember that. And hopefully it, it will just help you retain it. And then we'll just see where this goes. All right. Sounds good. I, I think it'll be beneficial and helpful. And, uh, we'll see. And then, um, then we'll, then, well, we'll, we'll see how it's going to play. I've got a lot of decisions to make and how to figure this out between now. And Sunday night, between now and Sunday night, I've got to figure out how to get us basically to where we need to be. So um, I'll have to figure that out. But I didn't want to waste time sitting here going, oh, I should do this. Or maybe I should do this. And I should do this. And three hours later, the only thing I've accomplished is my frustration and silence. In other words, silence for you. You wouldn't have anything to listen to. So I thought this would be a very quick way to start getting us back into Jeremiah while I figure out what else to do and how to do so. So hopefully it will be beneficial if you feel like this was not beneficial and if you feel like this was a bad idea, email another podcast and tell them, (laughs) no, no, I'm joking. You can email me and tell me. All right, so here we go. Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, the way they, uh, they have all of their, uh, their audio files available for download, um, at the Through the Bible, uh, website. Uh, now the way they do so is they just give you like a, a large audio file, right? And so it's not broken up like it does with the radio program. So I think this is right where he starts chapter two. It doesn't have int- any introduction. He's just going to be, you know, ready to jump into chapter two. So it may, it may feel a little abrupt, but I think it will all make sense. And, uh, I I think this should be fun. I think, I think we can take kind of an unfortunate situation, make it beneficial, have a little fun, look at the book of Jeremiah, can't hurt us to repeat some things and then maybe advance this. I'm really hoping he does a lot of work between verse 19, chapter two, verse 19, and uh, ver- to verse 37, I'm hoping there's a lot of work. I, My fear, if I'm looking at the time on this audio file, because he's supposed to go through chapter two and chapter three, I fear we're not going to get a lot. But you know what? We, instead of complaining about it, let's just get what we can and benefit from it. Here
0: we go. I think it's very important. Now we come here in chapter 2 to the first message that this man Jeremiah gave, and he gave it to a backslidden nation. I'm going to give you here a few of the details and the mechanics. And I recognize on radio that we can get bogged down in this type of thing. But the next few chapters are rather important. And we'll not understand them until we understand the background now
1: that okay I'm glad he felt the same way. One of the reasons I've been so hesitant to just fly through chapter two, three, four, five, and just because I know that the study guide basically jumps from one to like you know chapter seven, whatever it does, I don't have it uh let's see do I have it right here? Um, where, yeah. I have it right here. I have it right here. It goes from chapter 1, verse 4 through 19, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and then it jumps to chapter 7. And I just feel that between chapter 1 and maybe chapter 6, I believe that that's So important. I don't believe it can be skipped. And Dr. J. Vernon McGee believed it, it can't be skipped. And he believed that the background was very critical, maybe understanding the structure. So if he thinks it was, I'm not saying, Hey, look at me. I would, I, you know, me and Dr. J, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, we were in agreement. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it's interesting that people, Many commentaries and commentators and, and preachers have all said that these early chapters are extremely important. I believe that. So I've been unwilling to skip, even though logic would dictate I need to, considering we're trying to get through the entire book before you by the end of August. But I would rather, if we have to not get to some chapters at the end, Instead of skipping chapters at the beginning that I think are so essential, establishing uh, important details about the book, how to interpret it, how to its structure, just I think there's just a lot of important
0: principles. Let's see what things he points out. Here we go. Chapters two through six was given during the first five years of Jeremiah's ministry.
1: Chapters 2 through 6 was given during the first five years of Jeremiah's ministry. Chapters 2 through 6 was given during the first five years. Now, I don't know if there is absolute universal agreement on that, but obviously Dr. J. Vernon McGee believed there was.
0: Here we go. You see, he began, we were told, in the 13th year of the reign of, of this man. And these messages were in those first five years before the finding of the book of the law. And then in chapters 7 through 9, the messages there have to do with the cleansing of the temple and the discovery of the book of the law. And that was in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah. And then chapters 10 through 12, You have messages that are messages that came in the time of the period of reform and revival after finding the book of the law. And we're going to discover that that revival was a very surface sort of thing. It was an experience sort of thing. No great emphasis upon the Word of God. And it'll never be a real revival, friends, until there is a real emphasis upon the Word of God.
1: Now, I know that's way ahead, but you may want to write that principle down. There is no revival unless there is an emphasis on the word of God. If you are seeing a revival supposedly taking place and it's singing, 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 crying, people giving telling stories or testimonies, singing experience, singing the events, supposedly miracles. But the emphasis is not on the proclamation of God's word. There is no revival. Not everyone agrees with that. Not everyone agrees with that uh, uh, idea, but I think that that's the only way to judge if it's a revival. It will be based off, is the word of God being emphasized? Are the people being brought back to the word of God? Are they confessing and are convicted and broken because they've departed from the word of God? Do they have a new, um, hunger for it, a new desire for it, a new passion for it, that to me is revival. And he he believes uh, the same way. So when we get to those chapters in Jeremiah, we'll have to definitely look at maybe the subject of revival. But I think he makes a very valid point there.
0: Now, in order to orient you into where we are, and that's the reason I think the prophetic books should be studied along with the historic books. And therefore, I want to turn back to the 34th chapter of Second Chronicles and see if we can't fit ourselves into this particular place in history. I'm reading now from Second Chronicles, the 34th chapter, beginning at verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Now, here's an outstanding king right at the end of the kingdom of Judah. And now I keep reading verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And now it was during that period, that these first five years, that Jeremiah is prophesied. Now, will you notice, and they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence, and the images that were on high above them. He cut down in the groves, and the carved images, and the molten images. He broke in pieces, made dust of them, strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars, and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem."
1: Now, I want to throw in a very practical point here, kind of a very important question. How many times in the history of Israel and Judah Either as a United Kingdom or a divided kingdom. How many different times were idols destroyed? Graven images destroyed? They were burned. They were turned into ashes. How many different times was there a reformed period? You could call it revival, or you could call it you know religious reform, where idolatry was being, you know, the idols were being torn down. They were being destroyed, and and uh, that it was being purged from. From the land, I it would be. I would challenge you if you ever, if you ever bored on, on you know, just any given day, just start going through the Bible and how many times idolatry shows up. How many times it was supposedly condemned, preached against. There was a period of reform, and then how long does it take for it to show back up? How many times was it tore down, banned, condemned, and everyone's like, "That's it, we're done with uh, idols," and then they go right back to it. And then how many times? So how many times was there a supposed period of reform? And how many times do they return? It's like idolatry. They turn to idolatry. Then there's a period of reform where they burn it. They tear it down. They go again and then they return, then they return right back to it. It's like there's idolatry. There's reform and then there's return. Idolatry, reform, return. Idolatry, reform, return. And the return is return back to idolatry. It's idolatry, reform, condemn it, ban it, whatever you want to call it, and then they return back to it. It happens over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you know why? You can... Tear down all the idols. You can burn them. You can ban them. You can speak against it. But unless you remove the idolatry from the heart, you will never stop it. That's why I say this all the time when it comes to cultural issues. It's the, the issue is the human heart. You can get rid, you can try to burn, destroy, tear down all of the externals. The issue is inside of us. The issue here is no matter how many times they go after the idolatry in a sense externally, think of it this way. You can remove the idolatry from the land, or you can, let me say it this way. You can remove the idols from the land, but you can't remove the idols from the heart by simply external action. That requires the spirit and the word of God convicting the person internally to try to put away the idols of the heart. Just, I think, something that's often overlooked in Scripture.
0: And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even under Naphtali, with their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder, cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned Jerusalem. Now, verse 8 says, "...now in the eighteenth year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan the son of Azaliah, Maaseiah the governor of the city, and Joah the son of Jehoiaz, the recorder to repair the house of the Lord his God. And it was then that Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord that was given to Moses." You see, there weren't many copies, two, one for the king, one for the priest, and they'd been lost. They were to God, you see. Now Jeremiah comes out, and will you listen to him? This is a period, as we've seen when we read this historical section, they had gone into idolatry. They had forsaken the living God. And this second chapter, but the first prophecy, that he gave us a wonderful prophecy. I think it would be difficult to find any portion of Scripture that would surpass this particular section in genuine pathos and tenderness. And it's eloquent. And that's the thing we want to notice. You find here the earnest pleading of a God who has been forgotten and insulted. His grace and compassion towards the guilty nation blended with solemn warnings of dreadful days to come if the heart's not turned back to him. All together, that make this discourse now coming up one of the great ones that we have in the word of God. And just please remember,
1: you can tear them all down. You can burn them. Judah's still going into captivity because they continue to turn to idolatry. Like it never stops. Like does it, like it go all the way back. Like just, just think of the, the history of Israel from the moment they come out of Egyptian captivity, idolatry is over and over. And why is that? Why is that? Why do we? Because we constantly try to battle these issues by the going after the external. Oh, see that idol there? Burn it down. Tear it down. Destroy it. Yeah, but what difference does it matter if you destroy the idol? Because the people's hearts are idolatrous, right? If the heart is in a filled with idolatry... Well, then it doesn't matter how many of the idols you tear down, because I've said it so many times, external idolatry is only the proof of the internal idolatry. And guess what the true idol is? The true idol is never the statue you build. It's never the external thing. The true idol is always the idol of self. Idolatry, the true idol is self. And the external things we turn to and we're like, okay, my idol could be... When people say, my idol, you know, I struggle with the idolatry of video games or my career or money or cars. No, 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 no. Your idol is you. Those things you get and you focus on because they please you. The greatest idol is self. And then the other things we do is just the... External result of the internal reality. We want this. We desire this because it pleases us. It gives us something we want, something we need, something we desire. So we give ourselves over to it. Idol- idolatry is, it's this. It's, we, uh, Christians always go after external manifestations. Of of internal problems, internal realities, and we think we're going to fix it. D- pass all the laws you want. Burn down every idol you think is there. I'm telling you, you're not going to fix it because the problem is inside. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you.
0: Now, actually, this first one begins here with chapter 2 and goes through chapter 3, verse 5. This is the first one that is given, and now we have it fitted in to that particular period when this man, Josiah the king, was seeking the Lord, but he didn't have the Word of God, but he knew one thing, that idolatry should be put down. Now, another young man's encouraging him. Will you listen to this? This is great. Chapter 2, verse 1. Moreover, "...the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord." and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Now, this is quite lovely. God is doing something, I think, quite wonderful here. He's asking Israel to remember the springtime of their relationship to him. When he called them out of the land of Egypt, and how they followed the pillar of fire at night and the pillar of cloud by day. And that was a period in which out in that fearful and frightful and terrible wilderness, they sought the Lord. And God now reminds them of that. But they are in the land now. And as he said concerning the northern kingdom under Hosea, Ephraim waxed fat and kicked. They're sophisticated now, and they've turned away from the living God and gone after idols. Friends, you can't help but note that there's analogy here between that nation and where we are today. God is left out today. Our nation was founded by men and women that believed that the book was the Word of God, and everything they did was based on that book and one of the reasons today that our government is not functioning like it should be as one outstanding historian of the present i've quoted him on this program and he has made the statement that today our nation is control of men who do not know the spiritual heritage of our nation
1: Now, I'm not going to get into a never-ending debate with that. I always talk like our nation is in trouble. Every, every time preachers are always saying our nation is in trouble because we've gotten away from God. And we always say the government's gotten away from God. And there was a time that our government was right. Look at some of the horrible things the government supposedly was doing when they were right with God. Okay. Like sometimes that's just drives me, me, me crazy. Like, it's always like, okay, we've got, we've, we, if we could get the government to preach the Bible, we would fix everything. Once again, Israel preached the Bible. They passed laws that were like, you can't do this. If you do this, you don't do this, you do this. And it did not change anyone's heart. They need the gospel. We don't need to try to impose some kind of Christian government or Christian law upon the unregenerate. So, This this kind of thinking has been around in Christianity forever. We always think if we take over and if we put the Bible in its rightful place, then we'll make this country what we want it to be. Well, Israel had God himself in their midst. The Shekinah glory. And guess what people still did? You know what? Nope, we're going back to Egypt. Nope, we don't want you. Nope, we want idols. So, I mean, come on, like, ah, it just drives me crazy. People don't understand. It's the, it's inside of us is where the problem is.
0: We're away from God today. Now we're going after idols, the almighty dollar. The best news out of New York today is the stock market. The best news out of Washington today is the fact that we're getting in a lot of money. And money is the god of the present hour.
1: No, the god of the present hour, no matter what generation you go to, no matter what year you go to, no matter what country you go to, is self. People pursue money because money gets you what you want. Money takes away problems that bother you. Money is the God that ser- that we turn to because it serves us. We're the idol. And think, if you can think about it, we're the, we're the God that we serve. And all of these other things are just the things that we want bowed, bowing down to serve us. They exalt us. They help us. They benefit us. We always, Christians never seem to to acknowledge the internal problem. Money is the God of this age. And people, no, people are, they are God. Money bows down to serve them. They may pursue money, but they're pursuing money for what money will do for
0: them. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is the almighty dollar today, and God's left out. Now, this makes this a very wonderful thing. God says here, and I want to move on down here, I remember thee. God says, I remember you. You've forgotten me, though. Isn't that lovely? And then he goes on here in verse 3. Israel was holiness under the Lord. Don't you remember back there? How you belonged to me, you followed me, and you were led to me. How wonderful. Now he moves on. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. And you notice the message. Although the ten tribes are scattered, they've been carried into captivity, they're still around. Let's put one thing down and make sure about it. The ten tribes never got lost, and therefore you can't find them today. I know that there are several groups around today that think they're maybe in one of the states of the Union, that they're in this country, or they're in Great Britain. They're not lost, still same people, by the way, and God's message was to them in that day, though they were in Assyrian captivity, thus saith the Lord. What iniquity have your fathers found in me that they are gone far from me and have walked after vanity and are become vain? I think this is without doubt one of the greatest passages that it's possible to put your hand on here. It's a great passage of Scripture. God says, and notice in such a wonderful way he approaches them, He said, what did I do wrong that you turned from me? What's wrong with God today, friends, that we're not interested in Him? And we're not interested in serving Him. Is there something wrong with God? Is the unrighteousness with God? Is God doing wrong today? How wonderful this is. And notice how he approaches this here. What iniquity have your fathers found in me? What did I do wrong? Do I do evil? And verse 6, Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt? People didn't go through that country. Friends, there are not many go through there today. I've been at the edge of it. And that's as far as I wanted to go. You can have it. But God kept his people there 40 years. And he took care of them. And he goes on to remind them, verse 7, "...and I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination." Now, we hear a great deal today about ecology. Ecology. And we need to clean up the land. May I say to you, that's good. It needs cleaning up. But you know, there's a lot of moral filth around today. There is a lot of degradation and deterioration in character. And that's the thing that God's talking about. They polluted God's land. They would have come in and be a witness to him. And now they're as bad as the people that were in that land. Now, verse 8, God puts the responsibility on the spiritual leaders. And I think the problem began in the church in this country. No nation falls until it falls first spiritually. There is, first of all, spiritual apostasy, moral awfulness, and then political anarchy. That's the way every nation makes its exit as a great nation. Verse 8, "...the priests said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not." And again, may I make this statement, and I do not want to engage in carping criticism, but there are too many folk that are supposed to be Bible teachers and preachers and witnesses for him today, even among the laymen, And they don't know the Word of God, friend. They don't know it. I'm sorry to say that. It ought not to have to be said, but it happens to be true. And as a result, they really don't know God. You have to know His Word to know Him. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore, now listen to God, though. Wherefore, I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. God says, I haven't given you up. I'm still going to plead with you. How wonderful it is. Now notice verse 13. For my... Uh, We have to stop right there because
1: he just interpreted uh, Jeremiah 2, 9. Wherefore, I will yet plead... With you, saith the Lord, and He is interpreting that as pleading, like I, I beg you, I I'm, I'm urging you, please. But that we we've talked about this in great detail. So it's just funny as He's criticizing others for not knowing the Word of God, as He's condemning others for not interpreting, You know, hey, they they don't know the Word of God, therefore they don't know God. And then he quotes a verse saying, hey, God, God, God says, I haven't given you up. I'm going to plead with you. Remember, most translations will uh, interpret that this way or translate it this way. Therefore, I will bring a case against you again. This is the Lord's declaration. So I I want you to, I, 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 we've already done some work on it, but I want you. And so I, it's just, I just, I find it funny. I think there's a lesson here. There's a practical lesson. Before we criticize others for their lack of knowledge of God's word, we better check ourself before we criticize others. Look, there's always a time to criticize others. I understand that there is a time. We need to sometimes. But we can never stop looking and criticizing ourself. Because right there, I mean, he's, he's just criticized others who don't know God's word. And then he, then he turns and reads Jeremiah 2 9. Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children. Children's children will I plead. See, God is telling him, I haven't given you up. I'm going to plead with you. But is he pleading or he's about to lay out charges against them? Is he about to do so? We worked through this in great detail. I would challenge you to look it up. In fact, I'll just quickly just do this really quick. I'm going to unplug my iPad here. I'm going to just go to the Blue Letter Bible app just really quick because, ah, oh, that drives me. It drives me so crazy. It just drives me so crazy. All right. Jeremiah. This is why I cannot stress. I cannot stress this. Whenever you listen to anyone teach the Bible, oh, you, it's your responsibility. Look, either you've got two, you've got a couple of options as a Christian. One, just surrender to a magisterial authority and say, they interpret it. They tell me what to believe. I don't, I don't, I don't bear any responsibility. Or two, you take full responsibility for yourself. And no matter what you hear, you're reading, you're checking, and you're verifying. Now that, that leads to major problems because then basically you become the authority. But right here, I mean, this is what, I mean, this is a famous, famous, famous Bible teaching program that aired on radio stations. It still airs on radio stations all across the country. He's very well respected. Millions of people have heard the five-year journey through the Bible from Dr. J. Vernon McGee. And yet, he's reading this in a completely, a way that I don't think is is accurate. He says, I will plead. I will plead. Um, st- uh, the, the Hebrew word, if I said Greek, I apologize. It's to conduct a case or suit Legal. It's like to sue someone. It's to make a complaint. It's to quarrel. It's to contend against. It's to strive. It's to contend. All right. It's not. It's it it's it's to grapple with. It's it's to wrestle with. It's it's like God is is about to say. There, there's all of these kind of. Uh, uh, you can look at v- chapter two verses one through eight. And you could look at it that, how it's written. And then all of a sudden God's like, now I'm going to lay out my case against you. And then he lays out his case for a very long time. You could figure out where he lay, you, you know, you could think about it this way. If you were to divide Jeremiah chapter two up one through eight, what would you call one through eight? And then nine is where he starts laying out his case. So how would you draw a distinction between one through eight versus nine and following? You look at it for yourself and you, and you do that. I would love to get your answers, but, uh, but I just, oh, it's just so funny. That comes right after criticizing others for not knowing the word of God. And then he clearly is misrepresenting what is happening there. I, I, I just, oh, the Hebrew word, it's to strive. It's to contend. Uh, I mean, if you, if you look at Strong's definition of the word, it's, it's to toss, it's to grapple it's to it's to hold a controversy it's, it's to chide to complain to contend to debate uh, i mean now the pleading part may be a part of that but the it, this is to lay out his case his charge against them so if you're going to if you're going to criticize others for not knowing god's word <laughs> then you've
0: got to know it right People have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. That's one thing. The second thing is, and they've hewn them out systems, broken systems that can hold no water. Now immediately he says, Hey, God, I'm not giving up on you. I'm still going to plead with
1: you. And th- but then look what follows after two nine. He does it. There's not begging and pleading. There's laying out his charge against them. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out, cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. He is contending with them. He's laying out his
0: case against them. And how many people have hewn them out a little cistern and they're drinking at that cistern today? And it's not satisfying them. Men never are satisfied by getting rich. Every man that ever made a million wants to make two million, and then two million leads to more. And the same thing applies to fame today. Now God goes on in dealing with these people, and He tells them about their backsliding. Mentions it now for the first time, verse 19. Thine own wickedness shall correct thee, and thy backslidings shall reprove thee. Know therefore and see that it's an evil thing and bitter that thou hast forsaken the Lord thy God, and that my fear is not in thee, saith the Lord God of hosts. Now, I'm not going to talk about backsliding today, but next time in chapter 3, you're going to find out that it's mentioned in that one chapter as many times there as it's mentioned in the rest of the Bible. So it must be rather important, you see, here. And therefore, we'll hold that till the next time. Now he's going after them on this matter of idolatry. The Lord won't give them up, but they've reared up their own gods and they've followed their own devices And when man rejects God, he always will make an idol. And the interesting thing is, and we'll have an occasion to talk about this later on, when people make an idol, they always make one that they want, that they like, that they can meet his demands. In other words, actually, an idol is just a projection of the old nature of man. And every idol represents that. And that's what you have here in this particular section. In fact, all the way through this first section, it is a polemic against idolatry. Now, we're going to deal with that in chapter 3 because he deals with that in the remainder of chapter 2 here. And I want to recommend that though I will not be dealing with each verse, that you read this section. And read all the way through this prophecy of Jeremiah. Become familiar with it, friends, and you'll be surprised how wonderful it'll come to you. Somebody said, I read the Bible and I don't understand it. Well, I never did understand a geometry problem by reading it over the first time. I had to study it. And I believe that you'll not understand the Word of God by reading it the first time. And too many people put down the Bible when they read it the first time and say, I don't understand it. Keep reading it until you do. God will open up your heart to understand. Now, friends, as we come to the third chapter of Jeremiah, you will recall that in chapter 2 we said that there begins a message there that covers all of chapter 2, and then takes in five verses of chapter 3. And so we want to conclude the message of last time and then begin this new message that he has here. But all of chapters 2 through 6 was given during the first five years of Jeremiah's ministry, and that was before the book of the law was found, but it was during the time when Josiah... A young man like Jeremiah was seeking the Lord, and he was putting in certain reforms in the nation. And the main thing that he was doing, he was cleaning up idolatry, as we saw. Actually, the nation had just gone over to idolatry and had forsaken the living God. And you can see with the king's help and this young prophet that they had a tremendous effect upon the nation. Now, they went over to idolatry for a very definite reason. And the reason was that that was the easy way, as well as the popular way. But it was a way that lowered the standards in Israel and had brought them down to a low moral level. Now, chapter 3, as it opens, will you let me read here? "...they say, if a man put away his wife, and she go from him, and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord." Now, you see, they had dropped down to a very low level. There was gross immorality in the land. They were given over to that. He mentions that in the next verse, verse 2 of chapter 3 of Jeremiah. "...Lift up thine eyes unto the high places, and see where thou hast not been lain with. In the ways hast thou sat for them, as the Arabian in the wilderness... And thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. Now, idolatry, and I'm not talking about just making a little image. Anything that a man gives himself to is idolatry. Covetousness is therefore idolatry because of the fact that someone covets something and they give their time, their energy. They're dedicated to that. Now, there are a great many people dedicated to sin and the energy of sin, especially in these last days. is tremendous. But you see, the minute that a man turns away from the living God, he will turn to something, and it'll be something that he's made. That'll be his God. That'll be his idol. Now, Dr. Morgan has made this very fine statement. And it is a very enlightened statement, by the way, and I want to share it with you now. "...When a man makes a God according to the pattern of his own being, he makes a God like himself, an enlargement of his own imperfection. Moreover, the God which a man makes for himself will demand from him that which is according to his own nature." "...it is clearly evident in Mohammedanism, great and wonderful and outstanding in his personality as Mohammed was, yet the blighting sensuality of the man curses the whole of Islam today. Man will be faithful to those gods who make no demands upon them which are out of harmony with the desires of their own heart. When God calls men, it is the call of the God of holiness, the God of purity, the God of love, and He demands that they rise to His height. He cannot accommodate Himself to the depravity of their nature. He will not consent to the things "...of desire within them that are of impurity and evil." He calls men up and even higher until they reach the height of perfect conformity to His holiness. God's call to humanity is always first pure and then peaceable, first holy and then happy, first righteous and then rejoicing. My friend... May I say to you, that is a tremendous statement. I don't know
1: how tremendous it is in one sense, because it almost is like, hey, the Christian God calls us to this, and and it's almost implied that we can get there. No, God demands a standard and a perfection that we cannot keep, and therefore we see our sin and turn to Christ who can keep it. So it's great to talk about the the wonderful standard God calls us to, but the reality is we will never meet it under any circumstance circumstances right even those who believe in the true God will be idolaters in some way. those who believe in the true God are so are still worshiping themselves to some degree. we are still idolaters we are self-worshippers we are sinners that is a reality not excusing it. We are to be convicted by it. we first and foremost run to Christ for forgiveness. And then we struggle against the reality, but we do
0: not deny that reality. That's the end of it there. Now, here, God says to these people, as he concluded this second chapter here, this is a generation that had gone wholeheartedly into idolatry, and as a result, there was gross immorality. And as he said here, that they had gone to the high places. Unless you're acquainted with the high places in that day, you can't conceive of how grossly immoral they were. Those high places were a place where there was a grove of trees and an altar there, and all kinds of sex orgies were carried on there, and all kinds of drunkenness was carried on there. And as a result, why, the nation, has sunk down to a low level. And again, the knowledge is evident, is it not? We've forsaken the living and true God, and look at the moral condition of this nation. Look how lawless it is today.
1: Now, it's interesting, he kind of focuses on, like, actual physical sexual sin i believe I, personally i think the focus here isn't on what they were doing physically it's that they were in a sense being polluted and having many lovers and whoredoms were spiritual was spiritual i don't think the emphasis is on physical sexual sin i think it's clearly on spiritual unfaithfulness now if you if you die if you disagree then please let me know if you, if you're like, no, I think he's right there. They were having these, you know, these, all of this f- physical relations in these areas. Maybe they were, but the issue was on the idolatry. The issue was on the idolatry. I, th- I, I think, I think that's the, I think this is one, a section that's about spiritual adultery, not about physical sensuality.
0: It's about spiritual adultery. That is what I believe the emphasis is the dishonesty that there is today, the corruption in language, in the speech of people. I heard a little fellow the other day cursing like a sailor. My, now some sailor's going to write to me and reprimand me for that, but that's an old saying, and I'm just using it. But what I'm trying to say is that little fellow knew how to cuss, and he was doing a Terrible job of it, too. Now, that is the sordid and sorry condition today. And that was the condition in that land. Now, God says, I've already begun to judge you. Verse 3, Therefore the showers have been withholden, and there hath been no latter rain. And thou hadst a hoarse forehead, thou refusest to be ashamed. Two things, God says, I've already begun to judge you. I'm withholding rain. You see, that land today is dry. The greatest need in that land today is water. Just just a observational, kind of a, more of a question.
1: In Jeremiah 2, um, verse... Th- uh, Jeremiah 3, I should say. Jeremiah 3, verse 2. Lift up thine eyes unto the high places and see where thou hast not been lain with... In the ways hast thou sat for them as the Arabian in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. And it also talks about in verse one pollute, pollution. So polluted, 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 and then he's like, "I'm going to." Therefore, the showers have been withholden, and, uh, and there have been no latter rain. And thou hast uh, thou haddest a whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be ashamed. So it's almost like does the rain there correlate with the pollution? Like you're polluted, but I'm not going to give you the rain to wash you or to cleanse you. Or is it not connected in any way, shape, or form? It's just like, hey, it's not going to rain because of your sin, and you refuse to acknowledge it. You have no shame. You have no guilt. You won't. You're not. A, 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 and anyway, or is it more like a play on words? Hey, you're polluted, but I'm not going to since cleanse you because you refuse to acknowledge your guilt. I don't, I don't know what you can you can let me know what you you think there.
0: They don't need oil. Somebody says, wasn't it too bad that Israel didn't find oil down in the Negev? Well, they found water and that was much more precious much more valuable to them than oil. They need water in the land. Now, God began to withhold the water from them. And I believe that when they are there under the blessing of God, they're going to get all the water that they need. God says he'll supply it. And I think God judges us as a people, as a nation, because of many of these things that have happened to us. We've had so many national calamities over the period now of the past months and several years, but doesn't wake us up, doesn't bring us to God at all. Now we come here to this second message that begins here in verse 6.
1: And we'll stop there.
0: So... A
1: lot of things to consider there. A lot of that I know was repeating and just reminding and trying to help you get a better grasp of some of those things. Uh, what I really, I still want you to just to remember, I want you to work hard on Jeremiah 2.19, okay? They were backsliding. They were backsliders, okay? Okay. What did it mean for them when God was referring to them as backsliders? What did it mean for Judah, for Israel, and what and how do you see yourself as a backslider? They were a vine. What did that mean for them? What does that mean for us? They were a fast camel. What did that mean for them? What does that mean for us? They were a wild donkey. What does that mean for them? What does it mean for us? They were an ashamed thief. And chapter two, verse twenty six, what did that mean for them? What does it mean for us? They were there there's a phrase there about a destroying lion. What does that mean for them? What does that mean for us? They were a forgetful woman. What does that mean for them? What does that mean for us? And they were a harlot. I stress that the harlot was spiritual adultery. I do not believe the emphasis there is on physical sexuality, but on spiritual adultery. I don't think there's... I, I, I don't know how you would uh, deny that. But I would challenge you to work on those things, and then please, 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 um read you just need to be reading Jeremiah 1 all the way through chapter 12 Jeremiah 1 through chapter 12 or, or Jeremiah yeah Jeremiah 1 yeah. yeah all the way through all the way up to chapter 13 so i would just say Jeremiah 1 through 13 just read Jeremiah 1 through 13 i may mean, probably stated it differently before but just Go ahead and just read all of that. Read it, read it. What you're struggling with, what you don't understand, let me know. Of course, we will we will work on it some more. Um, but there you I wanted at least I wanted at least get um, I mean, we're right almost at an hour. I wanted at least get an hour in. And uh, uh maybe we'll we'll come back to see what he had to say about the rest of chapter three. Um since we got into the beginning of three, we'll at least probably do one more message where we review what he had to say. And then we'll add to that. And then at some point I will, you know, (laughs) well, I'll probably, I'm going to do it probably as a podcast now and cover two, uh, chapter two, verse 19 through chapter three, verse five to some, and some, wait, some level. We may do a little bit more work on chapter three, and then we'll try to do some summaries on four, five, six, and seven. Uh, We'll try to do maybe some work, some summary work on all of those, uh, maybe Sunday at Victory Baptist Church. We will see. So, there's a lot of uncertainty moving forward, but I hope that that kind of uh, review, reminder, and some important practical points that we pointed out there, hopefully that was beneficial. Let me know how you're doing in your study. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. And I will stop there, not because I want to or even feel like we're in a good stopping place, but because we're at 60 minutes and 49 seconds. So we'll stop. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a good night. God bless.